welcome to The Seagull, the place to stay up to date on everything you need to know about the 102nd Intelligence Wing at Otis Air National Guard Base, right here from beautiful Cape Cod, Massachusetts. I'm Tim Salem from Public Affairs, and I'm joined by Airman First Class Francesca Scridulis. Together, we will get you up to speed on what's going on here at the Wing. So this month, we're sharing with you guys an interview with the Rising Six Council, a fun segment of five questions with Spike from Recruiting and Retention, a highlight from some of the speakers at the 20th Anniversary Remembrance Ceremony we held on September 11th, and then our 9-11 mini-documentary with interviews from current and former Wing members who were here that day. Then we'll finish up with a teaser you won't want to miss from this month's episode of Chevrons. But first, let's hear from Colonel Enrique Davallo, commander of the 102nd Intelligence Surveillance and Reconnaissance Group, as he speaks about strategic competition with our adversaries in this month's command message. Hello, Team Otis. I'm Colonel Enrique Davallo, commander of the 102nd ISR Group, and it's my distinct honor to provide this month's command message. Later this month, we'll be visited by a team from the Air Combat Command Inspector General's Office as they conduct a capstone unit effectiveness inspection. That inspection is not for its own sake, though. It's to confirm that we are doing the right things and doing things right. Much of that look is grounded in whether we're ready to execute our assigned missions. And when we talk mission, I think it's important for all of us to understand our purpose, why we do what we do, and how it fits into the bigger picture of national security. But I'm not the only person thinking that. So in the coming months, our wing leadership team will be rolling out classified threat briefings for all cleared wing members so that you can better understand the depth and breadth of the global security environment for which we must be prepared. However, until then, or for those of you who may not be able to attend those classified briefings, I offer this teaser. And I'll start on this point. Politics aside, one point of consistency in the transition to a new administration has been the focus on strategic competition with China. Strategic competition is our primary security challenge and China is that pacing threat. Although the president's interim strategic guidance calls out other potential adversaries, China's investment in anti-access and area denial systems, including precision weapons, hypersonics, and counterspace capabilities, is narrowing the U.S. advantage across all domains. Over the next 10 years, China is expected to at least double the size of its nuclear stockpile while implementing the most rapid expansion and diversification of its nuclear arsenal in history. It's developing, testing, and fielding new land-based ballistic missiles, increasing the range of sub-launched missiles, and pursuing a new bomber. It's also expending significant resources on advanced nuclear-capable systems and hypersonic vehicles. Space access is also another area. It's been key to our military success in recent decades, and China has the means to deny that access. It is pursuing an array of counterspace weapons that range from jammers to ground and based space-based systems designed to limit the joint force's ability to fight globally. China is investing in weapons designed to attack the high-value assets we depend upon to project power and defend our interests, allies, and partners, especially in the Air Force Air National Guard team. We must change the way we fight to stay efficient and competitive. Recognizing that China will likely surpass the U.S. as the world's largest economy in the next decade or two, the combination of their military capability expansion, a non-democratic regime unwilling to exist within the structures and norms of the international system, and the budget to back up its intent, China indeed tops the list of national security threats. However, it's not alone. 
a resurgent Russia, though its economy and population are a fraction of ours, has plenty of military capability and the willingness to use it, as we've seen in multiple incidents in the past few years on their geographic periphery. As we rebalance against these threats in the Indo-Pacific and Europe, we will necessarily reduce the resources we commit to the Central Command, AOR. But Iran is a regional actor that cannot be ignored. American interests demand that we remain engaged in order to ensure stability and prosperity for both ourselves as well as our allies and partners. We find the same situation in Northeast Asia, where North Korea always seems to be on the precipice of either implosion or explosion, negatively affecting our allies in South Korea and Japan and our interests globally. And of course, violent extremist organizations are not going away. They remain a distributed global threat, not just internationally, but increasingly coming alive inside the US as homegrown violent extremists and domestic violent extremists. And finally, something we face as a hemisphere is the continuing and pervasive threat of transnational criminal organizations, something that has plagued all of the Americas for decades, reduced effective governance, and created opportunities for China, Russia, and Iran to conduct influence operations and obtain alternate attack vectors against the US. So as we look ahead to what role the 102nd might play in this complex global security environment, I assure you that every single day we have airmen in this wing who are actively engaged in preparing for or executing operations to safeguard our national security. Many of you probably don't even realize it, especially in the support of medical groups. We do this both for the federal mission and the external threat, as well as in our role as the Massachusetts militia in providing a domestic response capability for the governor. For those of you who can join me in the classified sessions, I look forward to discussing these challenges in greater detail. For those who aren't able, I'll leave you on this final thought. Today's global security environment is extremely challenging and complex. It combines the potential for an existential threat from two nuclear-capable peer adversaries that don't share our democratic values with the unpredictability of smaller regional powers and constantly changing non-state actors who wish to do us harm. But what they all share is a disdain for the democratic values and customary rules and norms of the post-World War II international system, a system that has increased stability, freedom, and prosperity across the globe and made us the most powerful nation in the world, for now. We all took an oath as airmen and we committed to defending our vital national interests and the American way of life. I think I speak on behalf of the entire wing leadership team when I say that I know this wing will crush any mission it's handed and I fully expect the ACCIG team to agree when they visit us in a few weeks. I'm extremely proud to be a part of this wing and serve alongside all of you. Thank you. We recently spoke to Tech Sergeant Stephen Pelletier, president of the wing's Rising Six Council, about the reason for the name change, as well as the goals and mission of this important organization. Previously, the 102IW had multiple councils. They had the Junior Enlisted Council, and then they had the NCO Council, the top three Chiefs Council. Uh, we've kind of uh, minimized the amount of councils where the direct connection now is now between what is the Rising Six, previously known as the uh, Junior Enlisted Council, um, and we have a direct feed right to the top three. So the communication has been minimized where we can deal directly with the top three council and decisions are made easier because there's less councils to go through. We're currently developing a new motto for the wing, 
um, a kind of a who we are. Uh, what is our motto? What is our slogan? We've had the same one for several years and it hasn't changed. So um, in the very near future here, we're going to be sending out a vote to the entire wing on um, what they would like to be known as. So when people talk about the 102IW, who are we? What is our slogan? What is our brand? Uh, if you have a great idea, please come out to one of our meetings. We have them every RSD. Um, we've had a lot of airmen come with great ideas. Some are being currently worked on. Um, some have already been put into place. So if you want a platform to speak, somewhere you can voice your ideas, somewhere you will be heard, that's what we're here for. Welcome to Five Questions, where we invite a subject matter expert to come in and provide some timely information about topics relevant and important to our airmen's careers, their jobs, and the wing's mission. This month, we have Master Sergeant David Rogisart in the studio with us. Sergeant Rogisart is the 102nd Intelligence Wing Recruiting and Retention Manager. You may know him by his nickname, Spike. Welcome to the program, Spike. Nice to be here, Tim. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, absolutely. Um, so jumping right into this, I'll lead us off with question number one. What is your role as the recruiting and retention manager? What is this, uh, you know, what is it you do? Are you a recruiter? Well, I'm a recruiter and a retainer. Um, unfortunately, unfortunately for me, uh, part of the process is I have to go to retention school, which is approximately four weeks long, and then from there over to recruiting school. Um, as far as the recruiting side of the house, I am what they call a guard-to-guard transfer person um, to include officers as well. But on the, on the retention side, um, my, I would say tentacles reach out far and far and wide. Um, not only do I handle you know, various GI bills, um, I also do incentives. I am the broker for people who are looking to change career fields. So um, talk to commanders, talk to members, um, see what their likes, dislikes are, and try and put them into positions that are, you know, um, relevant to what they want to do, whether it's mirroring a career field that they do on the outside, on the civilian world, or something totally different um, than what they do in the civilian world. Try to keep them fresh. So kind of in a sense, you're... uh you know, somebody wants a course correction in their career, you're kind of like the harbor master? Well, pretty much so. Um, like the, um, maybe a referee or a air traffic controller, you know, they, most of the kids that join, you know, 18, 19, 20, um, the recruiters do a great job, by the way, of, of placing them in career fields, but they might see um, a certain career field and like, wow, that's pretty cool. I would love to do that. They go to tech school. Um, they get a little bit of seasoning behind them. Come to find out, uh, it's not really their forte. They would rather do something else. So that's where they would come to me. Um, again, sit down and talk to them, look at their scores, um, look at their, their medical side as far as their their eyesight goes, you know, um, color vision, depth perception, and place them into a position that, you know, they would actually succeed in growing. Oh, that's great. That's great. Um, you know, uh, public, Af- public affairs is uh, looking for help, you know, by the way, wink, wink. No problem. <laughs> All right. Uh, question number two. Tell me about the tuition assistance program and specifically education benefits here in Massachusetts. You know, um, it's a state program. 
we're one of the few states in the country that actually cover the actual tuition fees to any public school in Massachusetts. Um, it's up to 130 credits, whether you're going for an associate's degree, um, bachelor's degree, or master's. Um, I would say I would say roughly maybe 15% of the wing is actually taking advantage of this program, but um, I have never seen um, anybody ever complain about the program at all. Um, when you're talking 130 credits at a, at a public college, um, that could be upwards of $100,000, you know, wow. for free tuition and fees for a part-time job. All right. Question number three, what should airmen know about the GI Bill and in particular the post 9-11? <laughs> the post 9-11, one of my, one of my favorite GI Bills. Um, I basically work with four different GI Bills. I work with the active duty GI Bill Chapter 30. I work with the Chapter 1606 Selective Reserve GI Bill. I work with the um, Survivor Benefit GI Bill Chapter 35, and the most famous, the post-9-11 Chapter 33. Um, the Chapter 33 post-9-11 GI Bill, um, depending upon what percentage, and I guess I'll go over that in a few minutes with you, but the Chapter 33 post-9-11 GI Bill covers tuition and fees, gives you a... BAH stipend, and also gives you a book stipend as well. So to be qualified or to be eligible for the post-9-11, you need to have a minimum of 90 days um, accumulative of active duty time, Title 10, or um, AGR time, Title 32. Um, it has to sit or meet a specific USC code, um, and that's for another podcast. <laughs> well, we could certainly have you on again and uh, we can dig deeper into the GI Bill. Program. Yes, yeah, there are there are many variables involved with the post 9/11, but um the bottom line is you need to have at least 90 days again accumulative active duty time, Title 10 to Title 32 time to be eligible for a percentage of the GI Bill, whether it's 50 through 100%. Well. All right, um Question number four, you don't just deal with education benefits. Talk to me about retention. Why should somebody stay affiliated? I want your one-minute elevator pitch. Well, thank God the elevator goes up to 55 floors. I'll see if I can cover it in 55 seconds. So when it comes to retention, um, it all depends on where the airman sits in his career um, and age. Um, also, with their family situation, uh, civilian job, whether they're working for a corporation or self-employed. Um, one of the big pieces is the TRICARE. Um, with the cost, you know, of... Outside insurance, whether you're getting it through your employer or getting it through the Chamber of Commerce if you are self-employed, um, it's, it, it's quite pricey. And here in the Air National Guard, we offer TRICARE Select, um, which is basically pennies on the dollar from what you can find on the outside. And from what I understand and what I've read, the coverage is, is much greater 
um, the um, the co-pays less. And it's, again, I, I can't say enough about that program at all. It's pennies on the dollar. That is one key, you know, retention piece that we have. Because if you separate, that's it. You're going to be on the supplier's dime. So instead of paying, say, $270 a month for health care, you're paying twelve, fourteen hundred for a family plan. Wow. I hadn't thought of that. The, um, and, you know, another great piece, too. Um, and again, depending. Um, I call it the um, the caravan payment. So you have somebody on a second, third year enlistment. They're on the fence. Should I go? Shouldn't I go? Um, you know, I can make more money on the outside. Yeah, that's that's great. But, you know, it's a guaranteed. You're coming here. You're gaining points toward what? Gaining points toward retirement. Retirement is a big piece. Um, there are very few companies who will actually pay you or you can earn a retirement for a part-time job. You know, sure, it's, it's, it's a sacrifice. You know, you're not going to be home on the weekends. Maybe it'll be a birthday. Maybe it'll be, um, you know, some type of celebration. But what you get on the back end, you know, far surpasses what you might be missing. Plus, we get the drill schedule a year out. We can always plan what we want to do, you know, for that particular drill weekend as well. So on, on the retention side, you kind of sit, listen to the member, um, what their concerns are and, you know, work with them. Um, you're not going to give them everything they want, everything they need. But again, you know, depending upon the age and how many years they have in the military will, will dictate, you know, what is the priority, you know, with them and family, because it's not just the member, you're also, you know, enlisting the family as well. Right. Right. Great. All right, the final question, question number five. What do you think is the single most important thing an airman should think about in regards to retention, recruiting and retention that we haven't talked about? The most important, well, they're all important, you know. Um, you know, number one, integrity. Integrity of, of what they do here on the base, what they do on the outside, um, it's a reflection on us and it's a reflection on them. <clears throat> um, honesty, doing what has to be done, you know, doing it in a timely manner. Um, I'm always an outlet. People can always come to my office. They can sit down if they have any concerns whatsoever. Um, I can't tell you how many times that I've been the pseudo psychologist you know <laughs> of the base sure um they'd come down sit with me we'd close the door we would talk um i would do what i can you know to rectify what was going on but um you know and, and that goes to the key piece of um you know of, of honesty sit down talk to me um let's see if we can come up you know w- with a solution if not then i have the ability to you know um reach out you know i can go lateral and help anybody out who who actually needs the help so um yeah basically i love what i do there isn't a section within the 102nd intel wing i don't touch so everybody knows me i i i like to say i know everybody (laughs) i try to make people feel comfortable when they come to my office um probably one of the um, most informal person uh, you will meet 
And really? again, that's just trying really? to, yeah, ab- absolutely. You know, <laughs> try to put everybody at ease. So I, I, I will personally say, uh, we, we have a saying or, you know, maybe a saying that, uh, a lot of people have heard before, you don't know what you don't know. And when it comes to retention, if you're on the fence, you probably don't realize a lot of the benefits that are owed to you or that, that you can get. Um, and Spike here is the guy with the answers. So if you're on the fence at all about your career, it's worth giving him a call and just uh, setting him up a meeting so that he can talk to you because he has a wealth of knowledge. You know, um, I'm to the I'm to the point in my career. Um, I I look back and I'm like, wow, uh, how lucky am I to be a part of the 102nd Intel Wing? Um, oh God, how long have I been here, Tim? I've been here, I don't know, 30, 35 years, right right from active duty. So I've I've seen the 102nd morph from a fighter wing to an Intel wing. And throughout that whole process, those whole 35 years, um, we do take care of our people. I've, I've, I am a walking testimonial to that, f- for sure. And um, I'm just about to the end of the, uh, of the rainbow. I'm, I'm looking at the pot of gold. Nice. And I want everybody to follow me over that rainbow. So um, I like to see everybody do 20-plus years. I like to see them you know, receive that, that benefit at the end. I like to see them throw money into their thrift savings. I want them to have that 401k. Um, I want them to have the, um, you know, the, the pension that comes with it, you know, from, uh, from dedicating their, their time, um, away from the family, you know, serving their country. So, you know, I'm all about the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Fantastic. Great way to end it. Um, so that closes out the five questions with Spike. Uh, is there anything you'd like to add? <laughs> you know, um, I'm available 24-7. Um, you can always give me a call on my cell. Phone number is 774-392-0425. Or you can shoot me an email on my military email. Um, I'm in the global or, you know, just stop by my office because um, everybody is always welcome. You're in Building 170? Building uh, 170, Room 136. Gotcha. Fantastic. Well, thanks very much. I appreciate you coming on Five Questions. I hope it wasn't too painful. For you, the world. <laughs> thanks a lot. <laughs> Thank you. On Saturday, September 11, 2021, Airmen of the 102nd Intelligence Wing, past and present, assembled to hold a ceremony marking 20 years since the terror attacks of 2001. Lieutenant Colonel Retired Tony Matera, Wing Intelligence Officer in September 2001, spoke about how that day changed the Wing's destiny. We were still largely a reserve augmentation force for the active duty. We might deploy for a brief period once every few years and spend the rest of the time training to be ready to answer the call of an overseas deployment. The events of September 11th served again as a pivot point for change. We shifted away from our Cold War mission and focused on 24-7, a one defense mission of combating terrorism. We had to change the way that we organized, trained, and equipped. We were no longer simply a reserve augmentation force 
that might get briefly activated every four to five years, we're now leading an Air Force operation from the front lines every single day. Lieutenant Colonel Michael Kelly, current commander of the 101st Intelligence Squadron, was a staff sergeant and weapons loader serving in the maintenance group on that fateful day. He spoke of the diligence of the Wings Airmen. It is, make no mistake, that we were and are still a proud group tied by an overwhelming sense of purpose and complete devotion to our tradecraft of getting functional fire aircraft safely up in the air. What the unit of men and women did that day with scraped knuckles, uniforms stained with dirt, grease, sweat, hydraulic fluids, JP8, and sometimes blood, was nothing short of outstanding. To put it in, in a numbers perspective, in 17 hours, the, the men and women of the unit generated 14 fully generated combat aircraft and currently launching and recovering 27 combat air patrols. Colonel Sean Riley, commander of the 102nd Intelligence Wing, was present 20 years ago on that day. As a captain, he was activated to ensure the staffing of the Survival Recovery Center 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the next several months. In the days and weeks that followed September 11th, the 102nd would mobilize over 600 airmen, bringing the wing to full strength and maximizing its combat power. In over 20 years of Eagle operations, following 9-11, the wing would execute the most flying hours ever in a single year. And for the next several years, the 102nd would continue to support Operation Noble Eagle, contributing to the more than 61,000 combat sorties and 2,300 intercepts of suspicious aircraft flown to date. Please be assured that today, the 102nd Intelligence Wing is as fully engaged in the fight as we were 20 years ago. The solemn event was capped off by a ceremonial flyby of two F-15 Eagles from the 102nd's sister unit, the 104th Fighter Wing from Barnes Air National Guard Base. The two-ship formation passed overhead at precisely 9.59, the moment the South Tower fell 20 years ago. During the ceremony, a shortened version of the 102nd Public Affairs Office mini-documentary, Answering the Call, was played for attendees. Current and former airmen from the 102nd Fighter Wing were interviewed, and I'd like to take the time now to formally thank them for being a part of it and sharing their stories. So you'll hear from Senior Master Sergeant Matthew Jackson, Brigadier General Retired Donald Quinville, Chief Master Sergeant Mark Versalone, Chief Master Sergeant Retired John Noland, Senior Master Sergeant Andrea Diggs, Brigadier General Virginia Gaglio, and Chief Master Sergeant Wing Ng. They represent a varied cross-section of rank and occupation at the time of 9-11, and they bring unique perspectives on the event of that day. Well, that day was actually much like today. Gorgeous, blue sky, low humidity. But it started off as a normal Tuesday. A Tuesday back then was our meeting days. And the TV was on, and we saw that one of the towers was on fire. Is that American 11 trying to call? We have some claims. Just stay quiet and you'll be okay. We're turning to the airport. Shortly after that, the horn went off for the, uh, the alert birds to take off. 
And actually, while I was standing there, I saw the second uh, aircraft hit the uh, second tower. And uh, so I knew something was wrong. Immediately picked up the phone, called the command post, uh, and said, I want the battle staff convened in the command post uh, ASAP. And when they call for the battle staff, that's all of the group commanders and everybody else that's on that list come to the command post, which is also housed in our building. And that was strange. Shortly before 9 o'clock, they launched and headed to New York City. Again, we still didn't really know what was going on, but uh, I knew that there was something wrong just based on what was happening in, in New York City. Uh, but beyond that, who could imagine that our own country was being attacked? So I knew with our alert mission that we would play a key pivotal role uh, for NORAD in defending the, the skies. Um, that's our main, that was our main mission here at the 102nd Fighter Wing at the time. And uh, we, you know, we sat alert for 20 years before that. What, what I didn't know was how many combat air patrols were we gonna be expected uh, to maintain. So we had 17 aircraft on station and we had the two alert airplanes that were flying and then the six uh, uh, local training sorties and all the rest of the aircraft were in some form of maintenance and so as a result um, you know we had eight flyable airplanes that day and they were all airborne. We had to start bringing them back and reconfiguring the airplanes. Um, I remember our supervisor calling down to the munition storage site saying look something's going on you guys need to get ready start bringing munitions up. So I made a when I called my wife hey honey I I'm not gonna be able to pick up the kids today. It's gonna be a long day at work. There was there was no need to do a recall of the maintenance personnel within our squadron because they recalled um, the base. Right? They called the base immediately and said, "I'm either coming out here or when would you like me out here?" And they really had that Minuteman response where they dropped what they were doing and and um, immediately knew that they were going to be needed because whenever you generate aircraft. Uh, you need a large number of personnel to do it. The folks started working on a game plan uh, whereby we had enough uh, pilots to go ahead and sustain a 24-hour operation for as long as we were tasked to do that. And it actually turned out that we did that straight for the next 23 days. Uh, which was uh, you know, quite amazing in, in my book that we were able to sustain that. So then we started to really think about the support personnel that were going to be needed to uh, sustain that kind of ops tempo. It wasn't just ops and maintenance, it was the rest of the organization. You know, we had the folks from supply making sure we had the parts that we need. We had the people from personnel because we had to go ahead and activate a lot of folks. Um, Services, you know, we used to serve two meals a month and then suddenly we had a requirement to feed folks 24-7. And that particular day, I think it was like a 14, 15 hour day of just coordinating everybody and everything. We worked the gate for probably the next three hours. We searched every vehicle that came through. By then we had gone into FPCon Delta, so it was pretty serious. We had never been in, in Delta before then, and we haven't been since then. And after September 11th, we had two um, security forces fire teams that were out on, the, out on the airfield at all times. 
you know, there was, there was a lot of things going on, but of course everyone, for the most part, that showed up was eager to do their job and just wanted to contribute in some way. You know, sitting out there and watching the crew chiefs do their job and in their very methodical, precise way, you know. I, it, there was just a whole, for a wing that seemed to operate at a pretty high level, it was just, it was surreal in itself to see that level go up even higher, you know. I was, I was incredibly proud to be a part of the immediate response and um, incredibly grief-stricken that so many people had been affected. It's a common bond that people who worked here that day have, but also people that I've known, you know, family and friends that knew what we went through that day, uh, it, it kind of strengthened things. Yeah, it's obviously changed the way we do business. It's obviously made the, the Air National Guard more relevant because now we're relied on because the Air Force's ops tempo is so much greater. The community really um, rallied, I would say, with Otis. There were a couple of businesses, even to this day, that they really appreciate the military, they really appreciate us being here. Unconditionally, I get support from my counterparts, my family. When things like that happen, family reaches out. Before that, they really didn't understand what I did. Uh, after 9-11, they knew exactly what our mission was and how we responded and uh, how my service mattered. The, the events of 9-11 really, really uh, solidified the, the, uh, the roles and involvement, what I contributed to this country as an Air National Guard military member. And uh, I wanted to be a part of the nation's response in protecting it. And so it kind of solidified my desire to continue my military service. I guess the, the big lesson for me is um, you, you never know when you're gonna get called to, to be ready, so you gotta stay ready all the time. At some point in time during your career, some crisis is gonna make you reach back to all your training and uh, it will automatically kick in. This wing in, in our airmen has proven day to day that uh, when it's real, they just jump into action and do what needs to be done. But I have to tell you from a commander's perspective, I'll never be able to go ahead and match the feeling that I had here watching the members of the 102nd Fighter Wing perform under 9-11 because it was, it was phenomenal. It was a bad day for the United States, but from a commander's perspective, boy, I couldn't be prouder of the people that were here. This wing has a long history of excellence. It proved it on 9-11, and uh, they have changed the missions that we do and the type of contribution we provide. But the last 20 years we have been at war, whether in Afghanistan or Iraq or other locations. And through it all, the men and women of the 102nd have shown that they are committed to excellence and are always part of the fight for the United States Air Force. Before we go, here's a bit of a preview of our other podcast, Chevrons. From junior enlisted to senior leaders and those in between, we interview notable individuals to address everyday challenges and hurdles the enlisted force faces. 
This month, we had the pleasure of interviewing Chief Master Sergeant Lorraine Kitzmuller, Enlisted Strategic Planner for the Office of the Senior Enlisted Advisor to the Chief National Guard Bureau, and Senior Airman Chloe Knoyer, a Services Specialist in the 102nd Intelligence Wing Force Support Squadron. During the program, each reflected on leadership throughout their careers and some of the ways that successful leaders can empower our airmen. And, and I look at it as a, it's not a ladder where only one person can go to the top at a time, right? It's not, it's not that linear. I look at it more like a jungle gym. There's all different kinds of ways that people can get to the top. And maybe you're better at climbing the rock wall, or maybe you're better at doing a ladder, but all of those exist. Um, in our organizations and you can help each other get there. It just depends on what those people's talents are and how everybody gets there. And the more information you show, you share, and also, you know, the more um, opt you are to lending that hand to help that person to the next level, um, the quicker and the better the team succeeds in getting there. Thanks for listening to The Seagull. For more news from the 102nd Intelligence Wing, visit our website at www.102iw.ang.af.mil slash links or search for 102iw on any major social media platform.